You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Half hour. Hello and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Here bringing you the casual conversations on the shows, films, concerts, and music that we see, listen to, and observe throughout our careers. Today's episode will feature spoilers. Please make sure you check out what we are discussing discussing today before listening ahead. You have been warned. (laughs) Here we are today. Talking about the Broadway revival of The Skin of Our Teeth at Lincoln Center Theater at the Vivian Beaumont mm-hmm. in Lincoln Center. Um, so we I'll give you a little bit of background on the play and, and uh, what this is all about, and then we'll kind of dive in, shall we? Shall we? All right. The Skin shall of Our Teeth is a play by Thornton Wilder. It has won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It debuted in 1942 at the Schubert Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, before moving to the Plymouth Theater on Broadway um, later that year in 1942. Um, we know the play is a three-part allegory. I'm, quote, I'm quoting here, the life of mankind centering on the Antrobus family of the fictional town of Excelsior, New Jersey. And it's a comedy drama in three acts about many, many things, <laughs> we, we, which we learned. This runs about three hours, and it's the first time I probably ever saw a three-hour play that I didn't feel like I was sitting through a three-hour play. I was fascinated by that. Um, but, this is the, <laughs> but this is the Broadway revival of this at Lincoln Center and what did we think? So what do we think of this? Oh, I should actually say before we dive in a little bit about who, well, the, in this production, ooh, I'm going through, we have Skin of Our Teeth by Thornton Wilder, as I said. In this production, this Broadway revival was directed by Liliana Blaine Cruz mm-hmm. with additional material by Brendan Jacobs Jenkins. Yes. With that said, what are your thoughts, Jeff? How do you feel about this? piece as a play on its own you know don't forget the play in the 40s was extremely groundbreaking for its time uh and what did we think of this production what are your overall thoughts this okay overall here we go i think that one i had no idea what we were getting ourselves into going into this because i know you read this in college i think Mm -hmm. but i knew nothing of it so i was super curious but i didn't want to know anything ahead of time Mm -hmm. so going into this you know the whole oh, the play, it's three hours, it's three acts, it's this and that. But when I sat down and I started um, realizing that this was a comedy mm-hmm. in itself, I was happy and I was starting to get super intrigued. So overall, I found this production to be very, very good. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if we're gonna, if this is a, a spoiler time for people and you don't want to listen on, I definitely highly suggest you go and see yeah. this show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because what the director is doing up on this stage is amazing. Yeah, that's that's all I can say about that. And it, yeah, it's really brilliant. How I always think a revival when you see a revival mm-hmm. and you think it could have been written today, I think that is astonishing work of the creatives teams behind it. And I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my gosh, like how is some of this set in the 1940s and set here like all these years later and making the same statements and more, more statements. Like the statements about, I mean, the whole piece is just about life and with a capital L and everything that people deal with in life and the subconscious of that. But as we know, this really focuses mainly on George and Maggie Antrobus. So I did, in some of the research I did, there was a meaning behind everything done in this piece, mm-hmm. right? Antrobus is the Greek word meaning human or person. So we've already established that the Antrobus family are representing humans, right? Mm-hmm. We know later on George becomes the head of the mammals society, you know, <laughs> and that's an act too, right? We also have um, Henry and Gladys are the children. Sabina is the family's maid in the first and third act, and then she's the beauty queen, right, in the second act. Mm-hmm. But Lily's, the name Lily Sabina is a reference to the myth of Lilith and the historical rape of the Sabine women. So there's like a story there. Henry Antrobus's name is changed from Cain. Remember that there's a lot of that. And there's the reference to Cain and Abel, mm-hmm. who we know um, Cain, who's the son of Adam, murders his brother Abel. Adam, if we would assume Mr. Antropus is Adam, then we would assume that Mrs. Antropus is Eve. So there's a ton of religious biblical perspective here in the way this is written and the representation of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on just that and, and the, the representation of religion and societal views with religion in, in this family? That was my same question. Too. Oh, okay. There you go. We don't always... <laughs> the first thing in Act... Well, we really start understanding this in Act 1, right? So the symbolism of religious undertones yeah. or, or stories that are being talked about here. And you start figuring them out along the way. And I think some of the added material into this was to just not only be from the Catholic religious faith, to bring in other faiths into this um, area and into this act and into the play. So I think some of the additional script work that Brandon Jacobs Jenkins did was, first of all, he embodied what a black family's experience is Mm -hmm. on the stage as this was a black family. So how would they have taken in a lot of these stories during these times Mm -hmm. of the different things like the Ice Age or the plagues or the wars, you know? So that was super interesting. But he also brought in some of these other religious things. And to touch on this now, it's... It's interesting to see because we're told these stories when we're younger mm-hmm. and while we're growing up. And we we didn't live through them. So we're, we just have these stories to go off of. And that life still continued after these tragic things. Uh, the Ice Age, the dinosaurs going extinct. It was so funny to me that in the first act we have these woolly mammoths and dinosaurs on stage. Which was brilliantly puppeteered, by the way, in design. Oh. In a brilliant way. I was not expecting that. And... I was just blown away by that in mm-hmm. Act 1 in particular. Yeah, it was great. And even those animals, bringing them in here, it, for me, I'm like, okay, this is representing something. At this time, the cavemen, they, they kept calling each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that, This was like a caveman experience, but dressed like they're in a 1960s well, household. The, the confusion of time period 
works. Yes. And a lot of times they could have not. And when you see a play and you're like, why do we jump from time period to time period? Or like, what is going on here, right? Or like, are we supposed to be... It wasn't like, let's just ignore it. It was like, no, no, no. We're going to make specific references to the turn, to the, the dinosaur age. We're going to make specific references to the biblical age. We're going to make specific references to the 1950s. We're going to make specific references to specific times. And there would be times when I'd hear them say things and say, oh... Oh, yeah, yeah, this is like what? its own world. Or like, what time period what? are we and, in? And then they're like, he invented the wheel. And I'm like, what? And so, and the alphabet. And so, okay. And it was just, you know, the best way I could say it, I think someone said this about the director, and we'll get to her in a second, but I think someone, I'm paraphrasing, but someone referenced the way she directs in some sort of like, I looked at it almost like as organized chaos. Yeah, it someone, was, I, someone had said a quote about her saying that she, the way she directs, but and chaos in the nicest way possible because it's so organized. But it's this chaos of not confusion but of, like, beauty. A chaotic beauty, I guess I could say, right? Yeah, I think the quote, the, if we saw the same thing, the quote is a master at creating chaos. That's what it is. A master at creating chaos. And I saw that and I wrote that down too because I was like, there is organized chaos going up on this stage right now in so many great ways. Because as a director, and I'm going to keep continuing to pr- praise Liliana as a director yes, because she thought about every last detail on that stage. Mm -hmm. There was no half-ass directing going on on the stage. And I I applaud it because anywhere I looked – okay, so there's like two different types I think because we talked about this recently in a past musical where there was so much up on the stage but it was because we were maybe uh, fulfilling a bad story. Mm -hmm. But here we – have a great story with so many great symbolism things happening in it that she made sure that every little detail of what could be happening on that stage was there. Yes. From in act one where we have the dinosaurs right. and the woolly mammoths that are extinct. And the house falling apart. The in house. Way, the ice storm coming, the ice wall coming. Meaning like what does that represent? Where Was the home not put together yet mm-hmm. at that time? So – to the eye, we see a real home, but to your imagination, that home doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Because when you have people coming into your home and you have no way of getting the fire on because you need someone who can start the fire, but it's set up that it, they could just turn a button on and the fire would go mm. on. So it's like to kind of take that disbelief away, you have to be able to say, okay, that little fire that's on the stage really doesn't exist. Mm. That's in our imagination. It's right. what is what being is shown being, to us, right. but what is really implied by that. And it's the same way that well, all of the plants are in the home. They're in pots right. because in the future they're going to be in pots. Right. But in that time, they were living among the plants. I always you, – you have to suspend your <laughs> image – your you have to suspend reality. Yeah. And you have to realize – and then I think what's fascinating is, you know, animals is such a theme here, right? How, like, we talk elephant in the room, literally. Yeah. And so we're talking about the woolly mammoth here and the <laughs> dinosaur. But then it's amazing how at the end of Act 2, there's storms coming and there's Noah's Ark references. You must take the two animals. And it was like, we're not going to really care about any of these human beings on the pier we're just going to care about the animals and getting the animals, but we didn't never saw the animals. So we saw animals in Act One. We don't see them, even though it's so important to save them and put them on the boat in the storm. And then in the third act, what happens? Like, oh, the animals didn't make it. Mm-hmm. You know who did make it? And 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 it's once again each to me. I looked at each Act One, and the ice wall came, and then what? 
In Act 2, the storm came. And then in Act 3, the war came. Some man-made catastrophes, war, some natural catastrophes. And how every, it's almost like, what would Act 4 have been? And Act 5 have been? Because there could, they say at the end of the whole show, this play is not over. And it can be continued. And I think that's brilliant storytelling at its finest. Well, I think what's interesting, too, about this is the human, the human mammal always seems to continue. Right. And what about the other mammals that we coexist with? And what about, right, and not only that, but who is most important to take along with us? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a whole message behind that itself. Because in the first section, in the first act one, where the dinosaur and the mammoth were not important enough to bring along Mm -hmm. into the new world. Mm -hmm. And then in the new world, the plagued people of of Atlantic City, which is funny enough, the plagued people were not important enough to come along. Or just the people there on the because pier or whatever. they couldn't contribute to society. Right. The people of the pier. But that's right. what I'm saying. They were like plagued with what? They were plagued with drugs and alcohol and sex and not contributing to society as we think they're supposed to. Maybe at the time when they were trying to reference this like turn of the century carnival atmosphere. Yes. Right. Like the carnies as they would right. say. Like, right. Oh, okay. Those people were right. no, no, no. They were too wild, and it was risque and everything like mm-hmm. that. So they had to stay. They were not able to go. The fortune teller, who was played by Priscilla Lopez, Lopez wonderfully. Yeah, uh, <laughs> great to see that name up there. Yes, on it was funny because at first we were like, we're like what, "What is she, she doing?" She's in only this, in that uh, act. And she's such a wonderful. But it's performer. so interesting because it, it's that voice of reason. She plays that part in here of telling you your future, but like the past is not important. Mm-hmm. Which we always think about the past in life mm-hmm. and also our future, but she's telling you just to think about your future. Stop going to the past. Mm-hmm. You can't change the past. It's 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 remarkable. And then we go to this and I think it's interesting how in Act Three, we we broke the fourth wall a lot in Act One and Act Two, but Act Three it was like stage manager comes out. People need to be replaced. They have to re-rehearse it. It always, the play always reminded us that we're watching a play. Yes. And that was important, I think, for Thornton Wilder to convey that message through it, that I'm not going to keep this fourth wall up the whole time. And we're going to let a character like, so to me, I always think a good play has a character like Sabina the Maid, who can, the audience can look to for comedic relief, can look to for a narration, can look to for like, wait, I don't know if I know what's going on right now. She'll help me. And I think that she was this wonderful present. And watching her go from the serious scenes to the comedic scene, I, I, I'm going to mention her name, Gabby Beans, playing Sabina in this Tony nomination worthy, please. <laughs> Let's like, go, it Gabby was Beans. brilliant. I, I'm, I was getting Eartha Kitt vibes from her throughout. I was getting just brilliance. And I'm like, you, she was so captivating to me the whole show. I love, I, I wanted more of her on stage. I wanted more because she was everything the audience was seeing and feeling mm-hmm. and doing. And she was going through this whole piece with us. You and know? really, her stage presence alone. She owned that stage oh, from yeah. when she came on that yeah, stage. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is a like an actor to be on the watch for. For sure. Because sure. let's go. Yeah. That is some great acting yeah. that I have not seen but, on the stage but in a honestly, long time. But honestly, the whole Antropus family to me was wonderful. I thought the father and son scene in Act 3 was oh. Acting, I haven't seen, it seems to have been in the pandemic for so long, seeing live theater now again. That was really rooted, great dramatic acting. Yeah. And 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 look what was happening at that time of this play with 
the, the war destroying this family and who survived and who didn't and how we move forward. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Antropus, wonderful. The children. I mean, I yeah. didn't find one actor to be anything sort of lackluster. They all held it together no, so wonderfully. And, right. And just to say their names, Mrs. Antropus was played by Rosalind Ruff. Mr. Antropus was played by James Vincent Meredith. Gladys Antropus was played by Paige Gilbert. And Henry Antropus was played by Julian Robertson. I thought the whole family yeah. had such unison in their acting mm-hmm. together. And, and not to mention the ensemble. We are talking about an ensemble here where the majority of the ensemble is are people of color. There's a lot of diversity in the ensemble. We're seeing, and and and, and in the specifically the uh, act two with the, the Atlantic City scene, we were seeing this really, like, if you just looked at the set, you'd be like, oh, what a beautiful, picturesque, poignant Broadway set of a carnival. And then you see, like, modern music playing, modern dancing, the use of drugs, alcohol, and sex, and LGBTQ couples, and, and, and just things happening. You're like, wow, this is really, this was, must have been the director really saying, Thorne Wilder was trying to tell us that we didn't need to be in a specific time period, so why not bring modern day elements into mm-hmm. it? With the music that was being played, and the style of dance, and the way they were going about. Yeah, it's it, of course, of course, that makes sense. It totally made sense. I loved it. I loved it. It's period without being period. Yeah, which is yeah. cool, you know, yeah. because like you were saying earlier about this show, it's a show within a show. Mm-hmm. And there are so many times where I had to realize what is the show? Mm-hmm. What is not the show? Mm-hmm. And because of the time we're living in right now, where we have a global pandemic going on and coming out of, in some ways, um, we feel what is happening on the stage. Because and, yes. there are times they say six actors in the cast are sick. Yeah. And I really didn't know if the show was shutting down. Right, because you felt like we've been dealing with that. So when they're like, and then when they say, oh, they ate the lemon meringue pie on break and there was mold on. Okay, I understand. <laughs> okay, that. I was like, okay, this Which is, is part from of the, the original. Show. The, the, getting the stomach bug and getting food poisoning, that's from the original. And so when they, I was like, I wonder if they're going to change that or not. But they kept that food poisoning element in it. Yeah, because Still. wasn't it not too long ago? Didn't a show shut down in the middle of the show because cast members were sick? That may, yeah, right, recently, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. Wasn't it like company or? I, mean, I, don't, I don't really remember, but yeah. Or I, like the other night, right right before Curtain, uh, Paradise Square had to. Yeah, like an hour before. Tell everyone, before, sorry, yeah. we can't go on. To so, me, I was like, oh my God, is this but, show but, shutting down But this right is now? the overall theme of the piece. No matter what happens, what is the line? It's beginning, we begin again. Yeah. So it, you don't want to be a, too much of a cockeyed optimist to say, well, it, it's always going to be okay. You know, but every war we've been through, every every catastrophe and disaster that society and the, even the world with the dinosaurs, the ice age, we have grown out of it and become a new that's why this thing, it makes complete sense for them to say this play is not over. And we're and, and it's almost like the actors were passing it on to the audience. Like, you continue to tell this play. Yeah. Uh, especially but Sabina what, kind of saying, like, I do this play all the time. And I'm like, now your turn. But that's what we do as humans. Yeah. And and I think Thornton Wilder, if you know some of his other works, you know, I guess the question I would ask you with this is so Our Town is his other famous work that everybody does, everybody's seen, everybody knows. It's like quintessential Americana theater, which is also a brilliant commentary on society and and what life is about, you know, at the time. This isn't revived very often. It had a production in the 90s at the public theater. Here we are now, all these years later. 
Sometimes you hear it done. But my question to you is, why do you think that, you know, there, there is a, a small old film. I think it was an Australian film. But there's no, like, mega Hollywood production of this. Why do you think that this play that is so groundbreaking for its time and wonderful is rarely done? Why do you think you take, you take all these brilliant themes and why don't you see it done? Of course it's done. But why don't you see it done nearly as much as something like Our Town? What do you think? Hmm. I think that has to do with the audience goer mm. and why it's not done a lot. Because I find that this piece may be too out there for mm. the normal audience mm-hmm. mind. This really takes the person to let go of everything and submerge their, themselves into a piece and try to understand what is happening. And I think what's so beautiful about this piece is as a as a audience goer you have to you have to um never try to really fully understand this piece because right. you're never going right. to or just soak in as much of it as you soak can soak it in and, and have your own you, opinion right. on it but you're never fully going to understand this piece because it is so out there and i think that's okay this yes. is just supposed to make you more aware of probably the decisions you make in your life as a person and maybe where your place in society is. And another thing I will say going once again, back to the brilliant direction of this too, is a lot of times when there's scenes that involve elephants or animals in the room (laughs) or a lot of ensemble, you pull the focus to the people speaking and what is every, you've been in plays, I've been in plays. What have we been told before when the ensemble, Oh, just pretend you're selling something back there. Oh, just pretend you're talking to that person. But when the ensemble is front and center and the dinosaur is dipping, spoiler alert again, dipping its head into the audience and the puppeteer is like right in front of me. I have never seen a play where I was like, oh, I can be listening to what they're saying and be watching this. So many times you would think pulling focus, pulling focus. Wait, what did they say? I didn't, I forgot what they, I didn't, wasn't listening to them, but it was purposely done like that because Mm -hmm. of the chaos of the scene. Yeah. You had to let the audience feel that chaos and the chaos of Atlantic city and the chaos of the war and watching those people in the back walking by as they're talking on the couch. We needed to submerge in that to have a book scene with two people for 20 minutes and nothing. That's not what this play was to have a family and living room drama scene with four people and nothing. Oh, and the dinosaurs outside. Okay. Maybe meet you. No, put that dinosaur there. Put the people on the pier right there in front. Right, that makes that's complete life. sense because life is going to literally come forward of your narrative. Right. And your narrative is important. I'm not saying what the narrative is is not important. I'm saying the other things significantly contribute to that narrative. And this director made that very clear in bringing that ensemble forward and the puppeteers forward. And I am – I'm awe of that. But I think that ha- comes down to like what we do as hu- naturally as humans. Mm-hmm. So as dialogue is happening and you're walking around a room and you're picking up a flower that fell over because some wild dinosaur is in your house, or maybe that's their pet dinosaur, but because right. the dinosaur right. and it's knocking it over. And we're like, oh my God, that prop fell down. Wait a second. No, that's no, 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 like no. supposed to be it's happening intended. right now. Yes. Because guess what? When you're walking around your house and your dog is walking around your house too at the same time, you're doing things... Um, you're coexisting Mm -hmm. and 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 everybody is coexisting as the mammals are as this family was among 
as all, it, I, I'm going to tell you something right now. I, we try to see everything. So it's hard for us to see things multiple times. A lot of times we'll say, oh, do you want to go see this again? And like, you know, we don't always go and see things multiple times. I would totally go back and see this again. I would go back and see this I would submerge myself in it a thousand percent for three more hours and why, and pick up new things. You want to know why I would go back and see this again? Because I would sit in a different section. I would go to a different part of the theater. We were actually pretty up close. We were a little over to the side. Yeah. We were like the fourth or fifth row over to the side. I would say like on the other side or upstairs maybe. Because I saw some images of things after too where if you were sitting directly on, now you're getting a full experience. Mm -hmm. But we saw it from the side. So Mm -hmm. we're also getting an experience. I'm watching the stagehand come onto the stage and I'm like, wait. Is that a real stagehand? Yeah, hand? or an or actor. Is it an actor right? stagehand? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is actually part but of the show. But that's the brilliance of theater. As we remember when we saw 1984 all those years ago, we were like, oh my God, like, I'm a little scared right yeah. now. Like, the theater is like, are we like, like, when you are so brought into a piece and you are so submerged in it that you don't really know what's real and what's not, that is really good theater to And me. it's supposed to make you feel, and I I do applaud the director, but I also have to applaud some of the production team oh, here yeah. too, because the set by Adam Rigg, the costumes by Matana Levy Blanco, lighting by Yi Zhao, and projection by Hannah Wizzleski. And the sound design, Palmer and the sound Heffern, design. that sound was brilliant. It was All of so this was so part well. of this full experience of this, taking you on a journey throughout a show. And I I really have to say this again, too, because this was a three-act, three-hour show, and I felt like I was there for an hour. Yeah. And 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 I was okay with it. I, and, I could have had one more act. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I'm. I. I. And and that's why I look at this and I say how ahead of his time Thornton Wilder was to write something like this, breaking so many theater norms at this time, and saying I'm and the title, the skin of our teeth. How often do we feel as a society, especially coming out of a pandemic, especially as there's wars going on in this world right now. How sometimes people feel like they're just getting by by the skin of our teeth, which is also a Bible quote. The phrase used as the title comes from the King James Bible, Job, where um, uh, the quote is, My bone cleaveth to my skin and to my flesh, and I am escaped with the skin of my teeth. Mm. There's so much going on here. So much. And I, and, and, oh, and going back to what you were saying earlier, projections, it was, I love how every act started with those projections really, really well-designed projections. The so video well. of the Antropus family in there. The, and then I love how the projector was trying to go in the third act and couldn't because the whole place was destroyed. It was, oh, I just, I can't wait to read the reviews of this and hear more people's there take was on it. One, thing, one more thing I want to touch on yeah. because I know we're getting close, but there was a significance in this show and this play about the actor's voice in a show. Mm. And I thought that was very telling for the time we're in because what does it mean when the actor is voicing their opinion on a work and how could, can that coexist? Right. It's such a huge moment in the show when they break that fourth wall and the actor is speaking. Yeah. Now, we think she's talking to us, yeah. but she's just talking to the audience that's imaginary. And she's talking about her experience with this show. Mm. And the directors and the, or the, the stagehand is just like, do it as it's right. told. Or she didn't want to do that scene. Or she, they didn't want to do the she scene because it didn't agree with her yeah. and didn't want to upset someone. And I think that's so telling because I think that is a major, major thing that we don't think about in the theater enough. Right. How do we make more things collaborative right. in this theater right. space with the director, with the whole team, right. with the actors? You know, we talk about that a lot about 
what does this mean? I know what this means to me, but also what does it mean to the actor that is working on this show with me? And, and, and yes, and not to mention, speaking of actors, how many Broadway debuts are in this cast and how Lincoln Center Theater is putting, listen, we could have had a slew of stars play this family. Mm-hmm. The stars that they could have had come in and do this. Oh, so-and-so is going to play Mr. Antrobus. So-and-so is going to play. And it was like, no, we're going to see this play. And we're just, and, and the new names I'm reading, this director, I'm like, please give this a Best Revival Tony nomination. Please give this a Best Director of a Play Tony nomination. Please give these actors Tony nominate. This deserves it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm so blown away by every element of it. And I and I and it, I always think a really good play makes you talking and thinking for a long time after. And since we've seen this, we have not stopped talking about it. How how and I love old plays like this being brought up. Not just, well, let's just restage another production of yada yada. No, let's put up a re-imaginative way of telling. And almost, and this is in honor of Thorne Wilder would have been 125 years old. So it's in the honor of 125th birthday. How how you have to, when we saw Oklahoma and we saw all the changes, right? Is something like this making Rodgers and Hammerstein proud? Is something like this making Thornton Wilder proud? I would love to think that they are loving what a new society, what Stephen Sondheim, may he rest in peace, thought of what the new company was, the blessings he gave yeah. to that. You take these great classics that work and you don't take away what works, you add. And you wrap it in a bow, in a better, in a bigger bow, maybe, or a different bow, but you and you make it work in a different way. But it's also just interpreting the text. Mm-hmm. What is the text of the play to begin with, and how do I, as a director and a team, either enhance it or continue to keep it the same way? Yeah, you know. And there, I do want to. There's one quote here by Rob Wainhart Kent. I saw this, and he said, "What Liliana does best is." Not understanding is really satisfying, and this director keeps you thinking. There's Yes, it's not spelled out for me, every mm-hmm. single thing. It's not beating me over the head with a theme, because yeah. there's like 30,000 themes here. Yeah. And I, I, I do keep going, yeah, Liliana Blaine Cruz just, I mean, we'll be seeing a lot more of her, I'm oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Because that brilliant direction of this. I remember walking in, I'm like, okay, we're seeing a Thornton Wilder play, and we're going over Thornton Wilder, right at Lincoln Center, and I remember walking in, and I hear this like, Top 40 playlist. And he was and so like, confused right I there. I thought, I literally thought for a split second we were walking to the wrong, because there's a few theaters there. There's like the off-Broadway <laughs> theater and there's like the, I was like, are we, we're definitely the right place, right? Like, I was like, but that's exactly our teeth. And instantly I was like, yep, I, I, I know we're going to a really cool place for the next But that's hours. exactly what was intended. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? The show doesn't make sense. So it doesn't, it, it also doesn't make sense when you walk in and pop music is playing yeah, in the theater, yeah, you know? Yeah. But anyway. oh, it's time to wrap up. Wow. I really could talk about this for another half an hour. It's crazy. I really yeah. hope if you are listening to this and you've seen this, we'd love to hear from you on this and comment. And I'll go again. I really would. Yeah. I would totally go see this again, like tomorrow or like a few weeks and see, you know, how they're about. Cause we only saw, I think we were only saw the second week of previews when mm-hmm. we were still in previews. So, but really, really, really great stuff. Really here. great. Um, thank you all so much. Oh, well, I guess we'll do a really quick re- recap. What's your quick recap on this? I'm, I, I don't have much else to say other than I really employed, uh, uh, applaud this director and the whole team working on this and the cast. Everyone on that stage is working their butts off to put on a stellar production. There's so much meaning behind this whole show. And if you have the chance, you should definitely, definitely go and see this. I will say that. Andre Bishop is the um, producing artistic director of Lincoln Center Theater. Um, 
we see glorious, beautiful restagings of King and I, South Pacific, some of the uh, My Fair Lady. Do things change? A little, but you're basically seeing the masterpieces of the 20th century almost restate, rebrought to life mm. in with a new group of people. It, I applaud Lincoln Center for taking a play and trusting their creative team with this and saying, you know what, do, I don't, it's almost like he said, do whatever, we trust you, do whatever you want with this. And how amazing was that, that we didn't just see a stiff retelling of this. We saw, and, and, and Lincoln Center is a brilliant, beautiful place to do something like this and to employ the people that they're employing with this huge cast. Could you have done that show with six ensemble members? Sure. And they they wouldn't have been the same. And they didn't. They had 30 people up there, and it made sense. Shout out to that slide in the set projection. Oh, the set design. I thought that was so cool. I watched them going down the slide. I'm like, this is Broadway. This is great. I loved it. Uh, That was very uh, cool. Another, and like obviously we can keep talking about this, but even having the two ch- child actors on yeah. the stage was so brought a different bizarre to me because <laughs> the things going on on I stage know, I'm know. like there is a guy literally walking around in a thong yeah, and, and the like children and the like, children are just like I know and I'm like bravo to letting the parents letting their kids be on that stage but also like duh right like what we're in 2022 and expression is there and. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's great. Amazing, I mean, amazing. This, I, one last thing I'll say. Okay, yes, quick, yes. <laughs> we don't talk about shows like this, you and I, and I think this is probably one of the, our best conversations here, so we're not lying when we tell you to go see this show. Because no. Oh, God, no. this is definitely something that you're going to want to see and should be talked about for a very long time. Yeah. Yes. Anyway. There we go. We got good recaps there. So thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast today. Please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Music and leave us a review if you love what you heard today. We also want you to join our conversation and engage with us, especially for this one. Yeah. Head over to our Instagram, at Half Hour Podcast, and comment on the latest post about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So lots of Broadway coming. There's more and more things we're seeing Mm -hmm. as the world is bringing theater, live theater back. So thank you all for listening. Until next time, signing off for now, I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.